for those of you who are new here, uh, we're actually in the middle of a series of messages on the book of Genesis. And Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's the beginning of the story of God's relationship with humanity and with each and every one of us as individuals. And our goal for this whole series, uh, while we're going through Genesis, to really see God at work. And so far, we've seen God at work in creation, uh, and we're going to see God's plan unfold, his plan of redemption for all people, uh, especially after what we talked about last week, which was Genesis chapter 3, where is the fall of man, the, uh, the fall of Adam, where Adam and Eve do exactly what God told them not to do. And so we'll see God unfold his plan through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and even uh, through Joseph. And so that's, that's really the goal uh, of this entire series. Now, in the very first week, what we talked about is we talked about the image of God. We talked about how each and every one of us, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, that we've all been created in God's image, that we've all been created to mirror God's attributes, to mirror God's characteristics within ourselves and to other people as well. And then the week after that, we talked about just the major questions that people have about creation. How did everything come to be? Was it, did it take a long time? Was it a short period of time? What, a lot, we have a lot of intelligent people in here who maybe are majoring in the sciences. So what do we do with evolution and all of that as followers of Jesus? And so we found that there are people on both sides of the issue. And so maybe we shouldn't hold so tightly uh, to uh, our beliefs about that because really there are secondary issues um, that uh, those questions are really secondary issues. And then last week, we talked about God's grace uh, in the midst of our sin. So we saw with Adam and Eve that they did exactly what God told them not to do, that they ate of the fruit of the tree in the garden that God said was forbidden. They did that and they were shamed or they felt shame. Uh, But what God did is God's grace was present there. God clothed them. He did for them what they couldn't do for themselves. uh, But yet they still had to face the consequences of their sin. But what we see there is that God's grace was always present. And so for us, that means that in spite of our sin, that even though we're going to sin each and every day, that God's grace is always there for us, always there for us um, to receive uh, into our lives. And so again, tonight we're in Genesis 11, uh, verse 27 through uh, 12, verse 9, and again, page 16 in the English-Chinese Bible. Uh, so I want to ask you all a question, and this is, again, a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer it or anything, uh, but I'd like to start out with a question. And so the question is, when was the last time that you did something for the first time? So when was the last time, when you really think about it, for you personally, when was the last time that you did something for the first time? Now, I think when we think about that question, I think there are really two groups of people. I think we have the very adventurous, very risky people, uh, and then you have very, like myself, someone who's timid, someone who's very careful. Now, the difference between those people is that you have an adventurous, risky person who, when a, an opportunity comes their way, they seize the opportunity when maybe some things aren't set in stone, there, there are some details that aren't definite, but they're willing to take the risk. But then you have people who are careful and timid, people who won't seize an opportunity, won't take up an opportunity because some details just aren't in place yet. And so if you think about those kinds of people and when you think about the opportunities that come into your life or uh, situations in your life, you might say, well, I'm not either one of those. Maybe I'm right in the middle. But I think even if you're right in the middle, I think you lean one way or the other. You're either a little bit more cautious in your life or a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more risky. But whichever one of those you are, I think it really determines your answer to this question and maybe how recent uh, an event was where you did something for the first time. And now for some of us, again, these are might be recent events. They might be big life changes where we actually did something for the first time. 
Now, maybe I know some of us, a couple of us, have got, ventured off to start a new business. Now, maybe you started this business. You, this is unknown territory to you. you uh, you've always worked for a company, always worked for an organization, and now you're off on your own doing your own thing. And it's unfamiliar to you, unfamiliar territory. What's, what could happen with it is completely unknown to you. Now, maybe this is the first time that we've moved out of our own home country, and we moved here to the United States, and Bowling Green, Kentucky, was the first place that you came to. And so maybe that was the first time outside of your home. And so, again, that's the first time you've ever done that. You didn't know what it was going to be like. You, don't know what, you didn't know what the United States was going to be like for you, what job you'd have, or maybe what friends you would make, or what situations would come your way. Some of us have also just started driving. Uh, maybe you've never driven before. It's the first time you've ever done that. Some of us in here have maybe are in college, just started college, have a kid who just went to college. And so that's the first time that that's ever happened to you. That's the first time this phase of life has ever happened to you. So you've done that for the first time. Now, maybe they're not big changes in your life. Maybe they're smaller changes. Maybe you've decided, you know, I've got to go on a diet. I've eaten terrible, so I need to get on a diet. Or maybe I need to start working out. Or maybe you think those are too extreme, and so you say, well, I'm going to start walking maybe a couple miles every week or maybe every month or something to kind of get your life back on track. But if those events don't resonate with you, if you can't identify with those, I think even if we look into our past, I think we see all these kind of life changes that happen in our lives where we did them for the first time, where we did go to college for the first time where we got our first real-world job. Maybe we weren't just working, I worked at Blockbuster, and so fortunately I didn't make a career out of that because they're closed down now, they don't exist anymore. So we've all went to college, we've all uh, you know, got a real-world job, and some of us, well, many of us, have had a baby before, or we even got our first house. Maybe we weren't, it wasn't renting it, but you bought your own house. And so those are all things we've done for the first time. But I don't know what your answer to that question is, but I think for me it's coming here you know, working here at this church. You know, in all my life, I used to, I, well, not all my life, but part of my life, I worked in university. So I was on staff with working with other people. Uh, the previous church I was at was, uh, I was one of three pastors and one of five people on staff. And so I wasn't alone. But here, I'm not alone. I mean, I've got you guys. But I am the only paid person here. I'm the only pastor that's on staff here. So it's unknown territory for me. It's unfamiliar to me. So I'm being a little risky, going outside of my own comfort zone, coming here, being a little adventurous. But no matter what situation we talk about in our own lives, we usually respond in one or two ways uh, in those situations. And again, if you think you're right in the middle, I think you lean one way or the other. But I think in those situations in our lives, we respond in fear or we respond in faith. Now, when we respond in fear, we don't do the thing we think we should do, and we don't do the thing that we've never done before because we're afraid. We're afraid of what that might do to our lives. We're afraid how it might change our lives. But if we respond in faith, those very things that, uh, those opportunities that come our way, we seize those opportunities because we're confident that everything is actually going to work out. And now there's no doubt that these opportunities that we face each and every day uh, throughout our lives, uh, that they are all chances for us to do something for the first time. So as followers of Jesus, I think each and every day, I think we have opportunities to do something for the first time time. Now, maybe when we think about when we became a follower of Jesus, some of us may have gladly jumped into that. We may have said, this is the thing I want to do for the, I want to be a part of uh, being following God for the rest of my life. There's nothing more fulfilling than following God. But then for some of us who maybe became Christians later on in our lives, maybe we look at that and say, you know, I, I was afraid. 
I didn't know how God was going to change my life. I didn't want somebody telling me what I needed to do with my life. And so we were afraid. We, it was unknown territory to us. We'd never followed somebody before, followed a God before. And so we were unsure of what that might look like. Now, some of us may have, in our past, may have been asked to leave one place for another, or maybe a job for another, uh, maybe to, for family safety, for, you know, just to be closer to family or whatever else, just really trying to follow where God is trying to lead you. Some of us in our lives have also been called to some, or feel, or urged by God to uh, go into some kind of ministry, to go overseas, to do something locally, or something like that. But really, these, I think these opportunities as followers of Jesus are all of those times where God is just bas- uh, basically asking us to follow him wherever it is he wants us to go. And many times where God asks us to go, we really have two responses to that. We can respond to God in fear, or we can respond to God in faith. If we respond to God in fear, we're afraid of where he might lead us. But if we respond in faith, we are confident that wherever he's going to lead us, that he's going to work all things out for our good. And so we're confidently expecting him to fulfill his promises to work on our behalf, to see his promises through. And so, and I think this is where, this is the idea I think that's really central or the focus of Genesis chapter 12. And when we go to Genesis chapter 12, we've skipped a whole lot. We were at Genesis 3 last week, and we're now at Genesis 12. And so I'll kind of fill all that stuff in for all of us. But in Genesis 12, we're introduced to a guy named Abram. Uh, he has, there's no mention of him before Genesis chapter 12. We don't know anything about him. We don't know if he was a follower of God. Uh, we can just assume or conclude that maybe this is the first time he's ever interacted with God in his life. And God's going to command him to do something, and Abraham is simply going to go. And this is going to be the man that God is going to begin his plan of redemption with. Again, he does, we don't know if he's had any interaction with this God, but yet he's going to be obedient. He's going to go. Now, if you notice, everything before this, Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis 11, has been focused on the world. It's been focused on how sin is present all over the world, but yet now, Genesis 12 is going to focus in on the life of this one person, of this one man who's going to be obedient, who's going to be faithful to whatever God asks him to do. And so, if you want, we're going to go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 11, uh, verse 27, and we're going to go through 12, verse 9. Okay, so y'all can read along with me there. And uh, yeah, Larry, if you could do that, that'd be awesome. Okay, starting in verse, chapter 11, verse 27. Well, this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Bilkah. She was a daughter of Haran the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years before he, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So what has happened so far? I'll go back. Yeah, oh, back. What has happened so far that sort of leads to this uh, place where Abram is now chosen to, to, to begin the plan of redemption for all his people? Now you look back at Genesis chapter 3, what happens right after that is Cain and Abel, who are the, the children of Adam and Eve, Cain kills Abel out of anger and then God curses him. And so we see that sin is present, sin is prevalent in the world, wickedness is present in the world. Then you go over to Noah a few chapters later. And Noah is a, is a guy that God commands to build an ark, to build a boat, to house uh, two of each animal on this earth and to protect him and his family. Because what God was about to do is he was about to bring a great flood onto the earth uh, because of the wickedness or to deal with the wickedness uh, that was present on the earth. And then a few chapters after that, we have a story called the Tower of Babel. And there you have all these people, all of the people of uh, all of humanity who are try they're trying to build a tower up to the heavens. And they say to themselves, we're going to make ourselves great. We're going to make our name great. Uh, and they're all speaking the same language. But when God sees what they're doing, he makes them speak different languages. And they're, they're confused. They can't continue the pursuit that they wanted to do. And so we see there, I think, also, that people are trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to be prideful. Uh, in a sense, that's a, that's a sin and all of that. And so what I think we see with all these stories is really of people who really don't want to have a relationship with God, of people who want nothing to do with God. But then we get to Genesis chapter 12. We're sort of drawn into this story about this one man named Abram, who, as far as we can tell, is probably going to be faithful, is going to be obedient to God. But what I think we're going to see, is, is if for all of us that are familiar with Abram's story, is that we're going to see that Abram, in some cases, is going to respond in faith to God. But that in other times, he's going to respond in doubt of God. He's going to be fearful of what God wants him to do. And he's going to respond with self-preservation. He's going to try to protect himself. But what we read in Genesis 12 is at the beginning of this, and we just hear God speaking. We don't hear Abram speaking at all. But God tells Abram he wants him to go. Now, he wants him to leave his land, where he's from. He wants him to leave the people that he loves, or the people he's, he knows in his, in his town, and God also wants Abram to leave uh, his own family, the people that he loves. He wants him to leave everything that's familiar to him, and he wants him to go somewhere that is completely unknown to him. Go to a place that he doesn't know anything about. And what we see there is God tells him, he says, I'm going to take you to a place and I'm going to show you this place. Now, in my opinion, that's very vague. It's very obscure of what God is telling Abram because he doesn't give him the name of this place. He just says, I'm going to show you. And so Abram is just, he just goes. 
You know, and this command is not without a promise. You know, right after he, com- he commands that he or commands him to go, he gives him a promise, and he says, "If when you go, when you're obedient to what I'm asking you to do, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you descendants, uh, and uh, all of that." So there's a promise that's there. But I think these promises, though, I think are a little hard to believe. Uh, I think if we put ourselves in Abram's shoes, if we were to look at the reality of his situation, I think it would be hard to trust God. He has no account of God. He doesn't have a Bible to work off of. He can't look in it and say, well, God has been faithful all this time, so I can trust him. As far as we can tell, this is the first time he's ever interacted with God. So how can he be trusted? He looks at his own life and sees that, well, God's going to give him descendants, God's going to give him children, but his wife can't even have kids. So how is that even going to happen? But yet we see that Abram, in this case, he actually responds in faith. He actually steps out and goes where this God wants him to go. He believes in this case that, or he's confident that God, whether he has any account of his faithfulness in the past, that this God can be trusted uh, to fulfill his promises. So again, he responds in faith, and he doesn't respond in fear. But if you read the rest of Abram's story, or, or Abraham, Abraham's a, the name they gave him later, so those are interchangeable. So if I use those two names, very same person. But later on, if you know the rest of Abraham's story, you know that he didn't always respond in faith. We know when Abram and Sarai, they go down to Egypt to live because the land that God took them to, it was actually in a great famine. If you read the verse right after, chapter, after verse 9, verse, if you read verse 10, it says that it was all in a great famine. So that's what God brought him to. And so they go down to live in Egypt and Abram asked Sarah to lie on his behalf. So you see, he's responding in, in fear. He's responding in self-preservation. He's afraid for his life because when he's going to go down there, he's afraid that they're going to kill him and then take his wife away to be one of Pharaoh's wives. And so he says, Sarah, I want you to lie. I want you to tell them that you're my sister so I can be protected. And she does, and he ends up, uh, for, uh, his life ends up being saved, spared. And that's not the only time that happens. It happens a second time in his story as well. He asks her to lie so that he can be kept safe. And we also know that with this whole descendants thing, God promises him that you're going to have kids, you're going to have a nation, your name's going to be great. Uh, but he know, Abram knows that his wife can't have kids. And so he takes the situation uh, in his own hands. He goes and he sleeps with a Hagar, who was the handmaiden to Sarah, and he has a kid. But that kid is not the child of the promise. That's not the way God wanted it to happen. But yet that's the way it did happen. So Abram took things to his hands. It actually made matters worse. And so I actually encourage you to go back and read through the rest of his life to see how that really affected uh, him. And so not only did he respond, though, you know, in doubt and fear and self-preservation or self-protection, you look at his, the rest of his life and there are other obstacles, there are other threats, there are other challenges that Abram faced as well. Again, I, he got to this land and there's a famine in the land. His herdsmen, the people who've come with him, are in conflict with his nephew, Lot. And then in another case, he's having to plead with God to save his own nephew because his nephew's living in these two cities that God is going to destroy, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he's there pleading with God. But you see, in every moment, Abram had a decision to make. He had an opportunity to decide how he wanted to respond to God in, these, uh, in his journey with God. 
And now when we look at Abram, I think for a second, I think we need to try to put ourselves in his shoes to really try to think about or think how he would think in the very situations that he faced. You know, he may have thought, you know, well, God has brought me to this land, this land that he said he was going to show me, this land he's going to give to my descendants, but it's in a famine. What good is that to me? He might have also thought, well, God has made me all these promises of, you know, I'm going to have a nation, I'm going to have descendants, but realistically, this stuff can't happen. You look at my life, my wife can't have any kids, so how is this going to happen in the first place? And then he might have thought, well, God's given me all this land, but what good is all this land when my family is in conflict with each other and I'm facing all these other challenges, I'm facing all these uh, other threats in my life? What good is all this land when my life isn't that great to begin with? Now, even though that may or may not be the case, who knows what Abram was thinking? But what we're told in the New Testament is that Abram or Abraham was one of the greatest examples of faith that we have. Uh, Here's what it says. In Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder was God. And so by faith, Abram did all of this. But as you can see from his story, Abram wasn't a perfect person. And the way he responded to God in all these situations, it wasn't perfect either. And I think that's an encouragement or should be an encouragement to us because we're not perfect. And the responses that we might have to God aren't going to be perfect either. And many times in our lives, we may respond, or sometimes in our lives, we may respond in faith to God. But in most cases, we actually might respond in fear instead. And so I I think the question that Abram gives us, or the the question that Abraham presents as his life presents to us, is that in the situations we face, how do we respond to God? Do we respond in fear, or do we respond in faith? And now a definition of fear, as if you were looking in any dictionary, would be this. Fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by expectation or awareness of danger, or it's a strong concern about what may happen. Now, whether we agree with this or not, whether we think so or not, we have all responded or we all continue to respond to God in this very same way. We all respond in fear to God. Now, again, when we think back to maybe when we became a follower of Jesus, especially for those of us who later in life gave our lives to Jesus, we decided to follow him. We may have been unsure of what that might mean for our lives. We may have thought maybe our family would disown us or we wouldn't have any friends or maybe it was going to be too much of a change for our lives. That could even be a thought for some of you who are thinking about becoming followers of Jesus. What is that going to look like with your family? Your family follows a different religious tradition. What are they going to think when you do that? Will you still have friends after you do this? Will life get better after you do this? These are all things I think that that we fear or that we're afraid of when becoming followers of Jesus. Now, maybe in your life, you also dealt with some kind of health issue. Now, you're thinking, you know, maybe you should trust God in this situation. In your mind, I think you think, well, yeah, God's going to take care of me. God's going to protect me. God's going to see all this through. But deep down inside, we don't really believe or truly believe that God is actually going to heal us or actually get us through the sickness that we're dealing with. We're still afraid that he's not going to come through uh, for us. 
Now, maybe we left one job for another. Maybe we've gone from one phase of life to another phase of life, and we're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid that God is not going to be there for us, that God is not going to be present for us. So you see, I think uh, it's, a little, it's inside all of us a little bit, this sort of fear aspect of how we respond to God or even how we respond to these opportunities uh, that we face in our lives. And so now I think even when we follow God, when we sense in our prayer times, you know, that God is telling us somewhere, he's telling us somewhere to go. He's commanding us to go somewhere, to trust him in faith, to want to go wherever it is he wants us to go. I think we think that everything's going to be greener on the other side, or we, we, we assume that's going to be the case, but sometimes it's not always what we expect. Things may not always go our way when we choose to follow God. And we look at Abram. You look at this land that God brought him to. It was in a famine. His family was in conflict with each other, and he faced other challenges and other threats to his life and to his family and to this, this name or this nation that was about to, to be birthed. And so he faced all of those things uh, in his life. Now for us, you know, even when we believe that God promises us something or that God is going to see, wants to see some work in our lives come, through, come to fruition or something else happen in our lives that God is behind, again, it may not be as good as you think it might be. The grass may not be greener on the other side. The, you might still face challenges in your lives if you choose to follow God. Uh, It may not always be what we expect. But you see, what Abram shows us is that God will ask us, if you're a follower of Jesus or if you're wanting to become a follower of Jesus, he's going to ask us at some point in our lives to leave something behind, to leave what we know, to go from what is known to go to what is unknown to us. And when he asks us that, we may not respond perfectly, you know, because we're not perfect people. Abram was not a perfect person, and every response he had was not perfect either. But I think what God's asking us, you know, even in the times where we might respond in fear, I think what he's asking us is to respond to him in any situation, to respond in faith. And the faith, as all of us are familiar with, the very biblical definition of what faith is, is that it says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so Abram was one of the greatest examples of faith that we have in the whole Bible. I mean, there's a bunch of others. If you go to chapter 11, you read a a bunch of other characters in the Old Testament that were great examples of faith. But he was a great example of faith because he went to a land that God didn't even tell him the name of. He just went. We know that he was promised descendants as well. People would follow after him, and he trusted God to some extent, that even though his wife was barren, his wife couldn't have kids, that somehow, some way, God was going to bring descendants into his life. He was going to bring a family into his life, people that would follow after him. Now, in each of these instances, Abram had to have the confidence, or he had to have the faith in God, that God was going to come through for him, that God had the ability, and could be trusted, um, to make good and wise choices for him, and to make good and wise choices for his family and his descendants, the people that would follow after him. But now I think what the challenge is to us is this, when we look at Abram's life. Like again, Abram, when we look at his life, he, we, we know that he probably didn't have any other encounter with God. He, this is probably the first time he's ever met this God. We're not told much more about him. So that's all we can really assume. We can't assume that he was a follower of God either. But the challenge, I think, for us is that we know God. 
We have a book that we can read that tells us everything about how God, or tells us every instance in which God was faithful to his people. Each of us has seen God work in our lives in some, to some extent. We have seen God work in miraculous ways in the lives of people that we know. So we have all of that to look to, all that evidence that this God can be trusted, yet many times we actually respond in, in fear to God still, even when we know all of that, instead of faith. Because I think, really, is that we really believe in our minds that God is going to come through for us, but I don't think we really believe deep down in our hearts that God is actually going to come through for us or see his promises through in our lives. Now, recently, we've actually been taking Evie to swimming lessons. And, you know, she's learned how to float. She's learned how to kick her feet and all of that stuff. So she's done all of that. But one thing they actually have us do is they have us put her on the side of the pool. And they, ask, they have us to try to get her to jump in to us. Now, she usually doesn't jump in if she has to do it on her own. Usually, if we hand her our fingers, she'll reach out to them, grab them, and then we pull her in to it. But... If I put my hands down and try to get her to come in, she's not going to jump in. She doesn't want to jump in. She actually shakes her head no. She doesn't want to do it or whatever. And so what I think, you know, I'm not a child psychologist or anything like that. But when I think, when I look at her, I think, well, maybe in her mind she believes that we will catch her. I mean, she's seen us, you know, carry her all over the place. She's seen us care for her in the many ways that we have. So she knows in her mind, yes, these people will take care of me. But I think deep down inside, I think there's a little bit of fear to make that jump. Because she doesn't know. She sees all this water there. I don't think she has a perception that this is really deep water. But I think deep down inside, I don't know if she knows we're going to catch her. I think up here she does, but not there. So I think that's a lot like us. I think when it comes to believing in God for something in our lives, to trust God for whatever promises he's, he's made, maybe in your prayer time or maybe made in his word, to you, uh, I think we have a hard time believing he'll come through. I think up here we say, yeah, I've got it. And my, my knowledge, yeah, I've, I've got it here, information, I've got all that. Yes, he'll do it. But in our hearts, I don't think we truly believe that God will come through for us. And so what will it take for us to be confident in God when he calls us or urges us to move from one place to another, from one job to another? Uh, what would it take for us to be confident in God that if we choose to follow him, that everything's going to work out for our good. So what will it take for us to be confident in that? But like Abram, you know, we look at Abram's life again. And God may call us to do various things. You know, God may call us again to go from what we know, to go from what's familiar to us, to go to what's unfamiliar to us, to go to what is unknown to us. And we may do that. We may follow God's leading and things may not seemingly go so well at first. You know, God may call us to quit living apart from Him and instead to live in a relationship with God, to ask God to lead you to be in charge of your life. And we may do that, and our family may disown us. We may not have any friends after that. We may lose a job, or something else might happen just because we simply become a follower of Jesus. May even create division in your family. Now, God may even promise to bring about reconciliation in a relationship or to care for you, to give you peace. But sometimes it might seem like God's not even present, that God's not there, that God's not at work in your life. But, but I think this is where faith comes in. You know, we don't go blindly into a situation. God doesn't put a blindfold on us and says just to follow him. When we follow him in faith, we follow God confidently expecting him to see his promises through. 
And we follow God, confidently expecting him, despite all the obstacles that we face, despite all the threats that we face, despite all the challenges that we face, that he's going to bring good out of each and every one of those situations that we face. So in the situations in life, in the situations in your life of faith, how are you going to respond to God? Are you going to respond in fear, or are you going to respond in faith? And I think Abram, I think what he uh, encourages us to do, uh, what he tells us to do in our lives, is that we're not going to always respond perfectly to God, because we're not perfect people. But I think what he's telling us is that the proper response to God is 